This is episode four of the Ask a Freelancer podcast. Ask a Freelancer is brought to you by Cushion, a simple forecasting app for freelancers. Cushion gives you a bird's eye view of your schedule and income so you can plan months ahead and reach your financial goals for the year. Learn more about Cushion at cushionapp.com. Let's get to the questions for today's show. Now remember, these are questions that you sent in via Twitter at CushionApp. And somehow we also have real recordings of you asking these questions. Uh, So here we go. How do you convince the person that shares your life that it's a good move to go freelance when you're scared yourself? Okay, so this first question is about how do you get your spouse on your page about freelancing, about the freelancing dream, and uh, you know, and also when you're afraid yourself. That's a tough question. I mean, I totally understand this. Now, luckily, I feel like my wife and I share the same dream, and we. We always have. I think the first couple of years, uh, we had to get really acquainted with what does that actually look like and get uh, familiar with the sacrifices and the, uh, you know, the workload that would actually make this thing happen. And we both had to kind of deeply understand that before there was an understanding. <laughs> we had to understand what it looked like before we had an understanding between us. And, you know, I think there's, um, I think this question is really about sales. It's about selling this vision to your partner. And I think there's an interesting thing here about uh, being scared yourself and being unsure yourself. And I think I think that if you sell something to somebody that you wouldn't buy, that doesn't make you a good salesman. That makes you a con man, right? Because you, if you don't believe the thing is valuable yourself, then you're not, you're not having a trade of value for money. You're scamming somebody. And I'm not saying that, <laughs> I'm not saying that you're trying to scam your spouse on this. But what I am suggesting is that you buy into the vision yourself. And if you go back to uh, the speaker, motivational speaker, Zig Ziglar, who was actually quite brilliant, uh, go back to his idea about sales. And he had, if someone was struggling with their sales, he would recommend that they buy what whatever it was they were selling themselves and use it. And if they felt like it was good value for money, then continue selling that thing. But if they didn't, then they had to quit. He actually tells a story of this Tupperware, door-to-door, I think, Tupperware salesman from, I don't know, this must have been the 70s. And the guy couldn't sell, it couldn't make ends meet, and he was having all kinds of trouble. And Zig said buy a set yourself. And the guy was like, I can't afford these. And he's like, do whatever it takes to buy a set yourself. Uh, And 
if it's if it's worth it, keep selling, and if it's not, quit. So he talked to the guy way after the fact, after he'd done the whole process, and the guy had gone a total 180, totally turned his business around, uh, and and he'd found that once he'd made the sacrifices himself, and he saw how the Tupperware saved their their kitchen experience, uh, there was no excuse that he couldn't uh, get through because he'd already got through his own excuses and he'd already lived it. And so here's what I suggest you do. If you, if you have the freelance dream, but you're not even sure about it yourself, get into the why, the what, and the how and have a deep understanding of the vision. So the why, the what, and the how, that's the vision, mission, and values uh, that a business uh, might might call it, and you're having a deep understanding of those things, and that's how a business sells you on what they do. And so, let's dive deep into the the vision. That's the why. You know, Simon Sinek. Start with why. Dive deep into this idea. Why do you want to go this way? Have a real answer. If you want to jump into freelancing, it probably has something to do with flexibility and autonomy and getting to make choices about when you work and how you work and how that affects your life. And that's gonna dramatically affect your spouse as well. And so you can talk them through the benefits of this dream. And you can understand, this is why I'm doing this. This is why I want want this for me. This is why I want this for us. And then you can go into the what, the mission, what it actually looks like having a good understanding of this is what I'm actually talking about doing. This is how I plan to make money. This is how the type of work that I want to be doing. Be really clear about that so you can articulate it. And then the how. This is how I'm actually going to go about getting new work. This is how it's going to work on a weekly basis. This is my plan. And when you have clarity in those three areas, Your sales pitch is going to be so much better and more effective and you'll be able to cast that vision because that's really what it is. It's it's a communication problem in my opinion. Um, But I think, you know, being scared yourself, I think you need to sell it to you first. You need to be bought in to the why, the what, and the how and believe that it's the right choice. And if you don't, if you're not willing to buy it yourself, then don't expect anyone else to buy into it either. If paid work isn't terribly creative, takes a lot of time and energy, how do you satisfy creative urges without time slash money loss? Okay, so this question is about the idea of creative fulfillment versus financial reward. And I think it's such a big question that I've made a whole podcast called the Creative Pep Talk Podcast on this topic. Uh, (laughs) So that's it. That's all I'm going to say. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I have a lot to say about this, but um, here's here's what I'll say to answer the question of how do you scratch that creative itch when it's not the work that's paying the bills. First of all, I just want to say, I just want to acknowledge that I think that 
this may just be um, a version of every creative's situation that ever existed. And here's why I think that. So I, I, just to give you some background to that, I think that whatever's lighting you up right now is unlikely to be paying your bills. And I think the reason behind that is comes from that book, Flow, which by an author that I, I don't know how to pronounce his name, uh, but we can uh, put it in the show notes. So <laughs> uh, the, the idea there is that what, what gets you in that flow state, what, what makes you excited about creativity is this perfect balance of mastery and challenge. So, you know, the familiar craft element, the stuff that you're go- already good at mixed with Uh, the right amount of challenge, the right amount of new. And so I think that we are forever discontent, as the folks from The Great Discontent might say. Uh, we're, We're forever in that great discontent of the work that's paying the bills now isn't what's exciting us. And I think the game, though, in order to keep yourself in balance and not get that too out of whack, you have to be pushing the ball up the field towards the stuff that's exciting you. Now, I think it's important to understand that the stuff that's exciting you uh, might start paying your bills in two or three years, but you're not going to be as excited about that stuff by the time it's paying your bills. And so I, I just think it's important to acknowledge that this is just part of the journey. Now, on the flip side of that, I would argue that you can't afford to not be pushing the ball towards the stuff you're excited about or you're risking burnout or maybe even worse. And here's what I mean by that. I think that you need to give priority every week to work, portfolio work, work that is going to drive the ball into the into the field that you want to be working. And I think you have to give first priority to this. It kind of reminds me of this situation that my dad told me about where he would have uh, employees below him that would lose employees and the people that were supposed to be hiring these people, instead of you know they were they were drowning in such a way that they felt like they couldn't afford to spend the time hiring these employees and uh you know he would just say you need to stop everything you're doing and focus on hiring the employees because the reason you're drowning is you don't have employees and so you 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 have to make it your job even if you can afford it to put all of your time into that. And in that same way, it, to me, it reminds me of, just to go on to build on another analogy, it reminds me of a farm that has such a bountiful harvest that they neglect to plant for the next season. Like we're getting so many crops right now, or we're so busy taking care of the harvesting that we neglect the planting that we need to be doing at the same time. And so I feel like what you have to do is you have to give yourself, you know, you have to dive really deep into the idea of clarity. Like what would be creatively fulfilling? What is the work that I want to be doing? And create 
parameters around making work in that direction and drumming up work in that direction. And I would give yourself, you know, some kind of rhythm to that. You know, let's say it's just three hours a week. Let's say it's three hours on a Saturday morning that you're going to give to this thing. And the reason I suggest getting really clear about what that work is and how you're going to go about doing it and being sure that it's the work that you want to be doing is because if you're not sure about that, that three hours that you do have, you're going to spend the first hour and a half trying to think of what you should be working on and the second hour and a half questioning whether that's the work that you should really be working on. And so I suggest getting really clear about what you think would light you up creatively and then setting aside uh, a first priority, some amount of time that you are dedicated, pouring into, investing every week, even though you're already harvesting because you, because you can't afford to burn out. You can't afford to neglect the planning season or you're never ever going to move out of that place where the work is not creatively fulfilling. If you don't have many well-known clients, should you include a list of them on your portfolio site or leave them all? So I think there's a few different ways that you could approach this question. The question uh, is either if you don't have well-known clients, should you put the kind of small-time local clients on your site? Or if you only have a few well-known, like a small amount, should you even include them? So let me start with the first one. If you have no real well-known clients on your site or under your belt should you tell people about it should you put them on your website and uh, the creator of cushion who is a friend of mine who I do this podcast with Johnny Hallman kind of gave me a nudge about this one and I think he's totally right he said you need to show the work that you want to get and so you need to if, if those small clients are the types of clients that you want to get more of then by all means list those clients. But if they're not, then I would leave them off completely and and position your portfolio towards the types of clients that you'd like to get. I really think of this as dressing for the job that you want, not the job you have. And I think there's no shame in that. When you go to the interview, you put on your best attire, your best suit. And you're not saying that this suit is indicative of your entire life. They know what you're doing. They know that you're dressing up for the job. And in that same way, if you only have a few decent clients, put them out there. And you can even label the list select clients, selected clients. They know what it means. They know that means that you wore the one decent suit that you had. But it doesn't mean that it's the only suit you had. It just means these are the ones that I want to talk about. And I do think that if you have a few good clients under your belt, that you'd like to get more uh, work in that vein, and you'd like to get more work in that vein, go ahead and show them. I think a, a small list is better than no list. However, a bad list is worse than no list, in my opinion. 
So if it's a list of work that you don't want to get more of, types of clients, types of work, go ahead and leave it off. Another way this looks, this idea of, you know, showing the work that you want to get, you know, you'll hear a lot of people complain about, you know, the client always picks the worst option. They, they pick the, the logo that they, that's the worst option we gave them. And you hear this advice a lot, and I think it's totally accurate. Don't, why'd you show them a bad option if you didn't want to do it? Same goes for illustrators showing sketches to the client. They went with the, the sketch that I didn't want to go with. Well, why'd you show them that? If you showed them it, then you had to be willing to do that type of work. And in that same way, the clients that you show should be indicative of the type of clients that you'd like to have in the future. Uh, so yeah, thanks for the uh, nudge on that, Johnny. I think that's a good answer. That concludes another episode of Ask a Freelancer. Don't forget to check out Cushion at CushionApp.com. I'm your host, Andy J. Miller. You can find my illustration portfolio and my other podcast, Creative Pep Talk, at andyj.pizza. Yeah, that's a real website. Thanks to Nate Utesh and his band, Metavari, for the tunes. You can listen to more at soundcloud.com slash metavari. Send us your freelance questions on Twitter at Cushion App, and it may just be answered in our next episode. Thanks, guys. Speak soon. Soon.